Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Roundup on this, a Monday, May 15th, 2023. I'm David Menzies and my co-host, well, let me tell you a little bit about my co-host. Do you know what, folks? Today is National Nylon Stocking Day, and he wanted to celebrate, but there's been a run on nylon stockings thanks to all those drag queens showing up at the library. He is the Khaleesi of Calgary. He is... Well, what is he exactly? He is Sid Fizard, our fantastic Alberta correspondent. How are you doing there, Sid? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. The weather's finally turned around. We've gone from uh, the bitter cold we usually face, but uh, sunny days lie ahead for us. Hopefully the same stead for Ontario. How's, how's everyone doing down there? You know what? The weather's good. It's going to get rainy, but I wish there were was rain coming to Alberta. You've got the wildfire problem. Thank God nobody has lost their life in terms of human life. Uh, but uh, you're under something called a heat dome. Um, you know, I, I don't remember all these new terms for weather back when I was a kid, like polar vortex and now heat dome. Um, but you know what I find perversely amusing, Sid, is that, uh, well, at least listening to uh, Toronto-based talk radio, the reason for the misery in Alberta due to wildfires. Well, it's all climate change, you see. Because, you know, in the billions and billions of years of history on planet Earth, there's never been severe weather. I mean, <laughs> I think there was a, a, a group of life forms. What were they called again? Going back hundreds of millions of years. Oh, yeah, the dinosaurs. Maybe you ought to ask them about um, severe weather. But, you know, this whole idea of conflating weather with environment and that obviously because there's some uh, fires or it's a, a cold event or a heat event, you name it, it's all due to climate change. It gets a little tiresome. What about you, Sid? Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree with that sentiment. And you think about, let's say, wildfires. And certainly the season we're in is a very unfortunate showing of a large volume of wildfires. It's taken up a large amount of land and displaced many people. Uh, but the thing to remember is the fact that wildfires are a part of the natural ecosystem that we live in, the natural environment. There are plants that require extreme heat in order for proper seeding to occur. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's funny, it, it's all boiled down to one thing. If the environment changes in a way that might be disruptive or somehow bad in some sense, or uh, likely with the, and often with temperature, when it, when it gets hotter, it's always because of climate change. Whereas, you know, the, the bitter cold, the extreme cold we felt over the last winter, it's not considered a part of that same climate change. Maybe, you know, they try and factor it in here and there and say that any difference in weather, any change in weather is truly accounted for by human behavior. Well, at the end of the day, the environment always changes and it has to change. If things stayed the same every single day, if it was the same temperature every single day, that would be pretty bad. That would be worse for the environment, one could argue. A hundred percent. And putting a tax on carbon is not going to do absolutely anything to move the needle, even though blackface thinks differently. But we digress. Sid, what is the ostensible reason of what we're trying to do here? Sorry, can you repeat that? Oh, uh, this is usually where Sheila or Tamara or Drea uh, outline the housekeeping rules in terms of uh, how to make a donation uh, if we have to leave YouTube, uh, if we get into, you know, tricky subject matter that um, the Silicon Valley tech gi giants wish we'd rather not speak about. 
Well, we are a variety of platforms, and notably we have Rumble, and we do have uh, paid comments where we actually read through those comments at the end of uh, these daily roundup videos. And I think we can see there on uh, the video as well, there are donations that you can make of a variety of sorts that always helps us out, especially because on YouTube we are demonetized and we don't get uh, a lot of those bonus features that a lot of other content creators are able to provide. Uh, so if you want to help us out, you can go to Rumble uh, for that feature and as well to stay tuned to the entirety of these videos. Sometimes because of the content we talk about, we do have to switch over there uh, just simply so that we can freely express what we have to say without the censorship of platforms like YouTube. So if you want to help us out, that's how you can do it. There you go. And without further ado, uh, we began the show speaking about wildfires. How about this? A member of Blackface's cabinet uh, where the phrase, a liar, liar, pants on fire uh, comes to mind. Uh, I speak of um, Public Safety Minister Marco Pinocchio, or I mean Mendicino. And, uh, well, lo and behold, despite what Mendicino said in a committee that there were no more Chinese police stations in Canada uh, because the RCMP shut them all down, turns out, guess what, folks? Could be some new Chinese police stations in Canada, although he's hopeful that the RCMP will shut them down eventually. Once again, uh, Sid, Marco Mendicino, much like Patrick Brown, is such a liar that if he were to spit in your face, he would tell you it's raining. I have no doubt about that. And now he went to a committee and he said they're all gone. And now he's come back and he said, well, maybe not all of them or, well, maybe some were added in the meantime. Uh, this is a disgrace. And um, by the way, he is more concerned. I just listened to a radio interview uh, about this Chinese interference being conducted by these Chinese police stations. And the first thing out of his mouth regarding Michael Chong being uh, targeted by the so-called commie cops was, um, yeah, the national security breach. No, no, no. Not meaning the Chinese nationals were going after a Canadian, Mr. Chong, but that there is a whistleblower in this in uh, CSIS that alerted the Globe and Mail and Global to this effect. Um, this guy, first of all, I make no apologies, Sid, he is a bold-faced liar. And secondly, obviously, the concern of the blackface regime isn't shutting down Chinese interference, isn't shutting down Chinese police stations, but getting to the bottom of who the snitch is in CSIS, who I think should be given the Order of Canada. What say you, my friend? Well, it makes me think of two things. One, in terms of these Chinese police stations. I mean, there's the brick-and-mortar facility, where they're operating out of, but what about the individuals who are operating those facilities? Clearly they have some involvement here that should be looked into. Uh, and the second thing is you think about the balloons, the Chinese balloons that were being shot down across North America. I mean, how many did we find out about? How many were, how many are there? How many haven't been shot down, you know? Maybe they just shot a couple down for PR and then said, okay, look, China, we, we did our thing. You can keep doing yours. It's not a problem anymore. I mean, we don't know what actually happened there and who's to say if we're ever gonna find out. Same thing, I hope, or pardon me, same thing may go for these police stations, but let's hope otherwise. You know, I'm glad you brought up the balloons. I had completely forgotten about that, which speaks to how much 
information we're learning about on the China crisis file. And uh, you're right, just a few months ago, it was uh, those balloons, some of them bigger than a school bus, just, you know, going down the lazy river around Canadian airspace en route to the U.S. And um, nothing to see here, folks, until, um, you know, the U.S. started shooting them down. And then I, th I think we scrambled a jet to shoot one down in Canada. Uh, but the... Um, the nonchalant attitude of this government when it comes to China is just staggering. Now, you know, Sid, as you know, um, there's three of these Chinese police stations in the greater Toronto area, um, two in Markham and one in uh, uh, Scarborough. And what I've always found interesting is the venues that house them. The one in Scarborough is a variety store. <laughs> It's like, as our colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed says, it's like something out of Men in Black. It's it's a variety store where you're buying candy bars and cigarettes at the front, but in the back, there are these Chinese cops. The other one in Markham is out of like a residential du rigueur house. And the third one where earlier this month there was a protest that we covered, uh, also in Markham, it's in a industrial park and the edifice and I keep going there. I can never find anyone there. I guess I'm not going at the right time. The Canada-Toronto Fuking Business Association. I have to really be careful pronouncing Fuking, but it's F-U-K-K-I-N-G. Maybe I am mispronouncing it. Maybe it sounds closer to the, uh, the regular F word. What I find staggering, Sid, is how are these edifices here in the first place how is this being entertained? Now, I know these cops aren't weaponized and they don't have police cruisers. They don't have uniforms. They don't have badges, but they cherry pick individuals who might have said something impolite on social media. And the way it works, I understand is they go house calling and they go, we want you on a plane right back to Beijing. And if you don't, well, we know you have friends and family back in the homeland. We can deal with them there. So it's the easy way or the hard way, your, your choice. Well, they both end up being hard ways. But the very fact that this has been allowed in our dominion, I find egregious bordering on treasonous, Sid. Well, and the one challenge, though, I see is how do you actually stop it? Like we've mentioned, these aren't exactly, you know, police station, Chinese police station uh, signage, let's say, on the front of these facilities exclusively built and meant for the operation of Chinese police operations abroad. Uh, they're doing this out of makeshift facilities, out of people's basements. It's somebody, an individual who is going out there doing these actions on behalf of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, how do you stop those individuals, I think, is the bigger question than how do these facilities kind of arise? And how do you stop them is a very difficult task because you would have to vet every single individual who comes from China, basically, in a sense. I mean, perhaps there are some things you can do to alleviate those barriers, but at the end of the day, their surveillance networks are so ingrained in not only the technology, but the social media. Every part of Chinese society is ingrained in uh, digital security and digital observance. So that is also a large thing to consider is a lot of this is happening without any brick and mortar, without any people being involved, period. It's all happening digitally as well. So you're, you're looking at uh, multiple layers to try and fend off against, and it, it might be a, a certainly a difficult task. You know, Sid, I think you're being too kind, and I'll, I'll tell you why. In Canada, as well as other nations uh, in the West, 
the way in which the Chinese uh, the Chinese government sells this idea of local law enforcement being in sovereign nations is we are aware of, for example, fraudsters, telemarketers, mail order fraud, what have you. Uh, they're from China. We know who these people are. We think we know who we are. Hey, listen, you don't have to waste your resources. We'll pick up the cost. We'll, um, we'll, you, we'll get the officers involved. We'll go door knocking. And it's kind of like win-win. Okay, uh, we got fraudsters here, and the uh, Chinese government has a good idea who they are. That that's great. But the problem is, is that it's not just the fraudsters. It's people posting, shall we say, impolite or insensitive things about the regime back home on social media, and that's who they go after as well. So I would argue. The way they got into these nations to begin with, uh, Sid, was kind of a, a bait-and-switch approach. It, it could very well be. And But one thing I would like to add to that is to never, uh, and a wise person once told this to me, is to never uh, underestimate the incompetency of government. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we shouldn't uh, forget, especially you think about how much crime goes uh, unresolved in the country, right? And I think the same thing would apply uh, even to international acts of crime or sabotage or uh, it, it, uh, actions like we've seen in regards to these police stations. And it, maybe I could ask uh, our, our producers in house there to pull up. Uh, if you look up CSIS on Google, uh, it shows Canada.ca website. You click that link and it shows you uh, the Canadian Security Intelligence Services. And uh, to make my point, at the top of their web page, it gives you a little warning. And it says, have you received a call from, you know, whatever this number may be, uh, or another phone number listed on our website? These are public phone numbers for CSIS, and they have been spoofed. Calls from these phone numbers asking for social insurance numbers or financial information are a scam. So, I mean, right now in the state of Canada, we have the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Uh, their phone numbers for public uh, use have been spoofed, and people are being requested social insurance information. That is a very serious thing. And yet it is still an issue that we have to deal with. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to say, you know, like I said, you know, never underestimate the incompetency of government. And I think this is one of those cases where they have to be held to account. And it's, it's not going to be them that does it. It's going to be the people of Canada. Well, I also can't believe the naivety of some people that get those messages. Um, basically, simply hang up or do what I do. I just um, play them. I, uh, you know, because I think the best revenge is to um, extinguish their time. Uh, and they get mad about that. And that kind of makes me happy. But moving on on the China file, <laughs> Sid, um, Toronto mayoral candidate Olivia Chow, who actually might become Toronto mayor next month. God help Hogtown, because we're going to go full Portland, full San Francisco, if that ever happens. Well, lo and behold, she met with a group aligned with China. Uh, well, I suppose if you're running for mayor, um, you can't pick and choose who your allies are going to be. Um, but this is disturbing because as, uh, if these allegations are true, Sid, um, Olivia Chow, who wants to be the mayor of this city, and I think that's a disaster waiting to happen, uh, apparently has no problem with uh, aligning her campaign to communist China. What do you say, my friend? 
Well, how many people are accepting donations or funds from adjacent parties or organizations as well? And not to say that this individual is a uh, particularly good or, or what have you, but what's, uh, uh, if I can ask too, what are the connections that you think are trying to be imposed? What do you think that influence would look like uh, in her becoming the mayor, let's say? Oh, what are the chances of her becoming? Well, she's leading in the polls, uh, Sid. I think the last I saw was 23%, and the next two candidates were down in the uh, the low teens. Um, and I think as of Friday, there's now more than 100 candidates running for mayor. But when you think of it, I mean, it's a circus. It's a clown show, this uh, by-election for mayor of Toronto. But the nitty-gritty with that many candidates out there splitting the vote... Uh, you could potentially see somebody becoming mayor uh, with, what, 13% of ballots cast. And by the way, two-thirds of Torontonians will likely sit this one out. So uh, it'll be just one-third that are actually going to make the effort to the polls. But we did a story uh, with another candidate, Rob Davis. I think he's a good man. Um, basically, his um, campaign slogan uh, is if you own a car or you own a house, uh, then Olivia Chow is your enemy. And he raised very serious um, concerns about a charity she started where donations have gone up exponentially. And he's worried about the charity using money, using volunteers to get around uh, campaign funding laws that apply to corporations, that apply to unions. And, um, you know, so I'm not that surprised, you know, given that. And, and again, the charity is denying those allegations are true. But I'm not that surprised that Miss Chow would go, uh, would align her campaign with China, given her previous track record. Um, I guess what we need is an investigation because the meter is running. It's the um, last week of June is election date. And uh, geez, that's like, what, six weeks away, Sid? Yeah, well, it's coming in hot. And I mean, as we saw with the last mayor, uh, there was, I mean, there's a certain particular scandal that saw him uh, take a step back from position. And, you know, I, I, I would not be surprised if there was further scandals to be uh, unraveled. And in particular with these new candidates coming up, to have that investigation, I think, would be absolutely crucial. Uh, whether or not the allegations provide to be true, to, to clear the air on these matters needs to be done. And if that isn't done, well, that, that I would be concerned about that. Yeah, maybe we need to call the cops, but I don't know which ones. Is it the uh, RCMP or, or the Toronto Police Service, or is it the Beijing cops station in Markham and Scarborough? I Whoever mean, you trust you most. Know, well, it, it is a China issue. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know who's who in the zoo when it comes to law enforcement in Canada anymore. But um, you know what? From uh, China crisis to what's going on down under with our beloved uh, colleague, uh, Avi Amini, uh, we should get to that. But first, let's take our first ad break and we'll see you on the other side, folks. Today, many journalists are really just advocates for woke ideology. They don't report the facts and they simply don't care about our fundamental freedoms. Well, we're doing something about that. What happens when the journalists themselves are really bought and paid for by the government? Can they possibly criticize the government freely? The law of the society is 
the need for independent news. Everyone kind of wants to be a YouTuber or a media star these days or whatever. And people always ask me, you know, well, how, how do you do it? What do you do? What's the secret? All that stuff. No matter what type of journalism you're doing, whether you're doing the advocacy journalism that Robbie does, whether you're doing the investigative reporting that Sheila does, uh, some of the Gonzo journalism that David Menzies does, or whether you're working in fiction like CBC, no matter what, you are telling a story. Great. I think it's very informative. I learned a lot of stuff. I took so many notes, so it's definitely, it's definitely good to, to, to be here. I'm really appreciating the, uh, the diversity of the speakers. They all contribute really specific uh, details on what to do as an aspiring journalist. It's been absolutely mind-blowing uh, from start to finish. Firstly, beautiful hall. Uh, we've been stuffed. Uh, it's like Thanksgiving dinner every night, so that's amazing. Um, and the only thing that beats that are are the people, the people around us, the company, um, some amazing and unique individuals. The journalism conference has been great. Um, I met many prominent figures in this field and I got great advice. It was a really good um, conference. Very good to meet all the lovely people here um, to get some inspiration and some experience. Our speakers, oh my gosh, they've been absolutely stupendous. I've uh, been learning so much. So grateful to have been invited to come. Thank you. Wow, that was a fantastic conference going back to last summer, Sid. And I realize that ad, it's not appealing to the vast majority of Rebel News viewers. But the thing is, folks, if you know of someone in journalism school or aspires to be a journalist, because I can tell you, Sid, Journalism schools today are indoctrination factor uh, factories. They are just putting out woke activists. So we want to, I don't know, rescue those who don't subscribe to becoming the uh, next version of, well, Rachel Gilmore, if you will. Uh, we want them to consider a career with Rebel News uh, where you can be uh, right of center or center and not be some uh, woke uh, activist. And, um, you know, I, I think of the old tagline for United Negro College, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. No, I certainly agree with that. And I haven't actually been to any of these conferences, but I've heard quite a few good things. And I know that we've made a lot of great connections through these events. So it's certainly something worth considering, especially for some of our younger people out there. There you go. So speaking of journalism, well, our colleague, uh, Abby Ameni, um, well, knock me down with a feather. He got assaulted by far left protesters in Melbourne. I mean, this was a really sordid event. You've got neo-Nazis on one end. You've got the counter protests of the anti-fascists who are really fascists on the other end. Um it reminds me of the movie from almost 20 years ago, Sid, Aliens versus Predator. No matter which side wins, we lose. I mean, there's no one to cheer on here. But Abby went with security, and uh, it was a bit of an overwhelming event. Why don't we throw to the video, and we'll uh, talk about that on the other end. 
You know, Sid, I'm all for discourse, even vulgar and profane discourse in the public square, but it is just amazing how many self-entitled individuals there are out there who do their talking with their fists. And I think it boils down to, I talked about the, the woke indoctrination factories on campus. One of the sayings is, punch a Nazi. And maybe if somebody was hell-bent on world conquest, uh, maybe if somebody was trying to commit a genocide, uh, yeah, that's a Nazi, all right. But a Nazi in their vernacular means simply someone who disagrees with your opinion. If you, there was disagreement, it's not I agree to disagree. It's rather I am going to physically assault you I think this is absolutely dreadful. Yeah, no, I certainly agree with that. I was going to, I would have made the same point is that they, they've washed away the, the value of calling someone a Nazi in a sense. You call everybody a Nazi because they disagree with you. Well, then the actual meaning is destroyed. Uh, and that's kind of what we're seeing. It's, it's just rage fueled uh, uh, actions by these demonstrators who are trying to fight, you know, this this evil that's in their heads and they, they, they cast that onto the people that they see around them that they might disagree with. It's very unfortunate. And, and in terms of the journalists on site, Avi Yamini, a great reporter, uh, he, he does amazing work if you haven't heard his name. I, I imagine if you're watching this video, you probably have. Uh, but to, to assault a journalist uh, in doing their capacity as journalism on the streets, it's very inappropriate. Uh, and especially if you're trying to convey a message, let's say you're trying to advocate against a group of Nazis. Well, then you want to talk to all the reporters you can. The more you talk to, the more people can see which outlets are going to, let's say, manipulate your words as they would accuse anybody who they disagree with of doing. A hundred percent. And, you know, as much as we load the likes of, say, the CBC, I don't want to see a CBC reporter or cameraman or sound guy get assaulted. Absolutely not. That's not how we roll. And I should mention uh, uh, the cameraman, Benji, that was with Avi was also assaulted. And why don't we have Avi, we have a short video of him uh, basically summing up the perverse irony that how he was assaulted for doing his job, but it wasn't by the Nazis. It was the people claiming to counter the Nazis. Again, I can't tell the difference as it used to say on the ABC detergents ad, but take it away, Avi. Avi Mini for Rebel News in Melbourne, Australia, where you have two extremist groups. You have neo-Nazis on one side and self-proclaimed anti-fascists on the other side who have faced off turning violent at times here on the streets in Melbourne and even at a point with us stuck in the middle. Thank goodness. Daniel, you were there. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. A little bit of a bruise and, and blood there, but we'll bring you exclusively the entire story to Rebel News. Make sure to head over now to followavi.com. Sign up to the mailing list just in case the platform you're watching this on right now will ban it. It's these days the censorship in the name of protecting the public could get us in a little bit of trouble. So sign up to the mailing list and join me across all the platforms.
just in case, like I said, the platform you're watching this on right now, this video just may be a little bit too hot. You know, again, Sid, it is the perverse irony here. Um, Avi Yamini being Jewish, uh, he's being attacked with a group that is ostensibly going up against uh, Nazis or neo-Nazis. So why are you picking on the Jew out there? Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Whitby at a demonstration, I was accused of uh, being a Nazi. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, the company is owned uh, by someone of the Jewish persuasion, that being Ezra Levent. My grandfather spent five and a half years of his life fighting Nazis in Europe in the Second World War. And thirdly, can you please offer an example of any kind of pro-Nazi sentiment that has ever appeared on our news network? And said, usually the answer is, oh, there's too many to choose from. I go, no, 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 just one, just one. They can't do it. It's repugnant. And it goes to my point with the so-called Antifa, which is a contraction of anti-fascist. They're not anti-fascist. They're just fa for fascists. They use the tools of fascism, which is to um, intimidate, bully, act out violently. Uh, so really, they're no different, I would say, Sid, from the group that they were uh, counter-demonstrating. No, you could certainly say that. Uh, and and it, it really is unfortunate because they're they're putting their anger towards people who absolutely are undeserving of it, as you can see in the video there. Uh, they're, they're just lashing out at people. And, and this is one of the reasons why. You saw that security guard that Avi uh, was highlighting. And, you know, we, we certainly need security. Uh, we've all experienced this on the field. Is that times there's going to be people who come up to you and try and confront you, try and assault you. And if there was nobody there to have your back, then it could become a very dangerous situation, which is why, you know, I, I do, I want to reiterate what Avi said, follow his work. And if you want to help out and help out for the security costs, uh, it, it's certainly appreciated. It's certainly needed. Uh, and, you know, of course, we, uh, we saw previously the police had actually detained Avi's security in one instance as, you know, uh, whatever allegations they were casting against him. But uh, there was a victory had for him after that incident. Uh, so we do look out for them, and we're very thankful that they look out for us. Yeah, and one other thing is said a trend I've noticed here, I don't know if it's uh, gone down under, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of evidence in the clips from uh, Avi, but you see members of Antifa who are disguising themselves now, not with the face mask and the, the, the helmet and the sunglasses, twas ever thus, but they are wrapping themselves in either the rainbow flag or the trans flag. And they show up to those kind of demonstrations when you see mothers and grandmothers complaining about pornography in elementary school libraries. They show up to do a counter protest. Like, and even though the demonstration has nothing to do with sexual orientation or gender identification, they wrap themselves in these LGBTQ plus, et cetera, flags. And I guess the takeaway, because I can't analyze it any other way is that because gender identification and sexual orientation were never part of the demonstration, simply pornography, horrible pornography in schools are being distributed, then that means you are pro-pornography. And by that, I mean 
yes, pornography is legal in Canada and many other jurisdictions, of course, but I mean age-inappropriate pornography. You're happy that an elementary-age student can take out a book from the school's library that is pure porn? Um, Sid, to me, that does not compute. Yeah, well, and you think about some of the signage that is you know, often used or affiliated with this side of the aisle, let's say, uh, and you'll see signs that say, we accept all. Uh, well, you, you put that to the test if you want to have a conversation about something you might disagree with about, uh, and, and you, you get a, a brick wall response. They don't want to have communications with people that they disagree with, even though they you know, say that they accept all. So it, it's an unfortunate bit of irony in that sense. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully there will be some, some dialogue that is able to be had, but oftentimes that's very difficult, as we've seen uh, in a multitude of demonstrations. It's often these like-minded people uh, that we're seeing. So uh, I, I'm not sure what to make of it, but as well, pride never stopped being a sin. And I think that's something that a lot of these people have forgotten about, and perhaps that's where this vitriol towards, you know, religious uh, understanding comes from in many senses, even though not entirely. Well, I think the solution is simply this. Um, when there are dueling protests, as soon as somebody crosses the line, i.e. physical violence, then the police step in and make arrests. And I don't care what the ideology is. I don't care what the candidate is, etc. cetera. Uh, that is the solution. And we're seeing too much turning the other cheek that way. And that's not right. We should switch gears, uh, Sid. Um, Breaking news over the weekend, Stellantis, which is a lot of people say, what's Stellantis? It's, it's now, that's the name of the parent company for uh, Chrysler. Um, I know it sounds like a knockoff brand of Viagra. Don't ask me how I know this, but that's what it, it sounds like to me. But seriously, this is one of the terrible side effects of what happened with uh, blackface and fat bastard giving the Volkswagen Group, namely the largest automaker in the world, $13 billion of taxpayer pork to put up a plant in St. Thomas, Ontario. And it's this, there was construction underway, uh, almost completed, I understand, in Windsor for an EV battery plant for Stellantis. And uh, on Friday night, according to my source, they had a meeting and they said, that's it. Put the brakes on this plant. We're not going, we're not finishing it. And we are going to move the jobs to Michigan. And maybe the Brampton plant, which is the last year of the uh, gas-powered cars like the Chrysler 300, the Dodge Charger, the Dodge Challenger, that's due for an electric refit. Maybe that project will be canceled too. And why? Because Stellantis is saying the Canadian government is not coming to the table with something that approximates what they gave uh, the Volkswagen Group. And Sid, as much as I'm all for companies not getting taxpayer-funded welfare, which is what this is, um, Stellantis has a point. Why does Volkswagen Group get it and we don't? And then Ford which will be electrifying their plant uh, in Oakville in the months ahead. They've got a case. And what about Toyota Lexus? There's Toyota and a Lexus plant in Ontario. What about Honda? Where's their pork? We know GM has already been paid off uh, via blackface. Um, here's the problem. 
now, uh, instead of this being a feel-good, oh, look at all the jobs we're created, creating, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, uh, suddenly you might be driving investment and jobs out of Ontario because this government has decided to pick and choose winners and losers in the automotive sector for virtue signaling points, i.e., look at us, we're making the car industry green by uh, developing battery-powered cars, and yet, uh, as we saw with the McGinty Wynn government, uh, green energy, guess what, tends to kill jobs. Well, we're certainly seeing that now, and it, it is kind of par for the course in the green movement to semi-complete a building just to stop, stop work on that building, to start a new building from scratch, uh, just to create, you know, uh, more environmentally friendly procedures. You know, it's, it's double the production in a sense. And that's the same thing that we see with electric vehicles is the thing that's not considered in the green movement more often than not uh, is the fact of how, how much labor goes into attaining the resources required to make those batteries, to make those vehicles. Compare that to a standard combustion vehicle. It, it, the, the difference is massive and it's completely neglected. Oh, 100%, Sid, as I've long said, we're still in the... Uh... I guess the you play, pay to be a trailblazer uh, stage of EVs. Uh, perfect example: um, the Ford F one fifty Lightning, which is all electric. Uh, it has a sixty nine thousand dollar base price. That's U S dollars, and incredibly, because of the scarcity, a seventy one thousand dollar dealer markup. So, in other words, for the price of one. Ford F-150 Lightning, you could buy two fully equipped Ford F-150 King Ranch trim uh, gas burning cars. So these are extraordinarily um, expensive vehicles. Uh, we are not considering what the impact on the grid is going to be, especially California, which has legislation to um, prohibit the sale of gas burning vehicles at some point. And this is a state already that has roving brownout and blackout conditions and is decommissioning the last two nuclear plants that are in that state. So where's the power going to come from? Uh, California, I think, has, what, 12.4 million vehicles on the road. You replace that with electrification over the years. Where is the juice going to come from in a state that can't already uh, meet the demand? Uh, it's not being thought out. And then, of course, city dwellers, if you're in New York City and you live in an apartment or a condo, where do you plug in your car? If you're out in the rural sticks, where do you plug in your vehicle? Uh, so a lot of this has not been thought out. But when it comes to jobs, Sid, allegedly the Stellantis plant was going to employ 2,500 Canadians. Now, uh, unless things change, those jobs are going to be uh, going to people living in Michigan. But that Volkswagen plant, the numbers bandied around have been at least 3,000 jobs, maybe as many as 5,000 jobs. And my source told me that is absolute BS. Uh, in fact, he suspects the way they're calculating the number of jobs is the construction jobs in building the plant. Because this battery plant VW is putting up in St. Thomas, Ontario, Sid, is going to be highly automated, it's going to be robots, robots out the yin-yang. Uh, the very idea that the low number, 3,000 jobs in that one plant, an absolute pipe dream. Uh, this is just bad news all around. And uh, I wonder what's going to happen uh, if 
If you're the blackface Trudeau regime, do you call Stellantis back to the table and uh, give them some more taxpayer pork? Or do you say, well, so sad, bye-bye, what's the deal? Well, and, and you highlighted it pretty well, is that a lot of these larger production facilities are going to become uh, fully, if not almost entirely, automated. Yeah. Uh, especially with the advancements we're seeing in AI, with the advancements we're seeing in uh, robotics. Uh, a lot of these jobs are, unfortunately, in a sense, easily uh, transferred into the digital era in that sense, uh, where instead of having somebody actually putting the car together, it's just going to be a maintenance person who fixes the machines who put the car together. Uh, that would probably save you a lot of labor. And to, to suggest that many jobs, I think what you're saying is likely where this is the amount of construction jobs. Because... The construction industry is still a very difficult one to fully replace uh, with automation, uh, as you might be able to suspect. I mean, when was the last time a robot was able to fix your roof? Uh, so those jobs are going to remain, I think, at least a little longer. And those are probably the jobs that are being counted for uh, when you talk about the production or the building of this facility. You know, Sid, what a coincidence. We just got our, our roof at Casa Menzoid replaced. I know once upon a time used to be a roofer. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, when I saw the men uh, working up on the roof, I, I used to chant, hey, on the roof, I see a goof. Uh, but they never laughed, Sid. I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, I hope they didn't leave a gaping hole there. But no, <laughs> I applaud those workers. They're doing real man work and uh, something I'm completely incapable of. So uh, a, a tip of the hat to you. We got to take another ad break, my friend. And then when we come back... Oh, golly gee, knock me down with a feather. A profoundly anti-capitalist cafe is expanding. No, no, it's not expanding. It's closing down. You won't believe this one, folks. <laughs> the media said that Canadian truckers were Russian agents controlled by Vladimir Putin. Justin Trudeau called them extremists. The small fringe minority. We are here out of love for our families our communities. And the government put the country under martial law to stop them. But what's the real story? If you can't see the future in clear outline right now, you're not paying attention. But the truckers in Canada can. And I want you to know that I'm not afraid. For the first time, the woman at the heart of the trucker convoy speaks out. Hold the line. Tamara Leach, passionate organizer, loving mother and grandmother, proud Métis and proud Albertan, and defiant political prisoner jailed for daring to criticize the government. Tamara Leach, her new book, Hold the Line, my story from the heart of the Freedom Convoy is the inside scoop of what really happened. You've heard from the media and the convoy's critics. Now hear the truth from the woman who inspired the world and made Justin Trudeau blink. Visit theconvoybook.com to order your copy now. And Sid, certainly you were a big part of that story. Uh, you and uh, K2 were down in Coots for several days under really horrendous conditions, uh, given the cold, given the lack of showering, shall we say. Uh, what are your thoughts on Tamara Leach coming out with that book? Well, I think it's uh, certainly incredible to be able to see and understand that perspective from the lady herself. I mean, in a sense, it's an honor. I know there's a multitude of individuals who were involved in convoy movement uh, at the top, you could say. 
Uh, and from my perspective, well, I, I kind of have to do my own catching up on the Freedom Convoy movement that took place in Ottawa, because as you mentioned, for 16 days, I was at the Cooch blockade covering uh, events from there. So for uh, I was situated on the other side of the country at the time, but still between the, the Cooch blockade, the Freedom Convoy movement in Ottawa, and the multitude of demonstrations that were taking place across the country at multiple border uh, uh, ports, uh, it, it was truly an incredible movement. And to hear it from uh, uh, the heart of it, as is uh, described from Tamara herself, uh, it must be a great read. hundred percent. Can't wait to read the book. I see some coming into the office already, so I'm looking forward to that. So, Sid, uh, I want to preface this story with a caveat, and that is I don't like to see any business go under. Even if I've had no dealings with that particular business, if I go by a restaurant, right, go by a convenience store and it's shuttered, uh, it breaks my heart, quite frankly. And we've seen so much of that in the last three years, thanks to, well, you guessed it, the COVID lockdowns, unless you had a lobbyist, um, you know, for somebody like uh, um, Costco or Walmart. Uh, and of course, the province's uh, Liquor Control Board of Ontario, they never shut down a single day. But somebody's hopes and dreams were crushed when a business goes under. And that always breaks my heart. But having said that, I'm looking at the Toronto's proudly anti-capitalist cafe is permanently closing. So at the end of this month, uh, it's gone. It's called The Anarchist. And it is absolutely, it's like something out of Mad Magazine. Um, one of the reasons this cafe is closing, according to the owner, is, get a load of this, Sid, the lack of seed capital. But wait a minute. You're anti that. You're anti-capitalism. You can't be anti-capitalist and then reach out for seed capital. Second thing I know is when I'm going through this story in BlogTO, um, they were already being subsidized, not by the government, thank God, but the landlord gave them a 50% break on the rent, still couldn't make it. And... Um, even though the doors are going to shutter on May 30th, I believe, this statement has me shaking my head again from the owner, which says, quote, the anarchist has been a huge success in every way. Um, not every way. <laughs> not in terms of keeping the doors open, <laughs> employing people, making, you know, that filthy thing capitalists do. It's called a profit. Sid, this story is staggering. If ever I saw something destined to fail, it would be a anti-capitalist cafe, my friend. Well, they might not have made a profit, but they certainly fulfilled the prophecy. Um, I think if you take that kind of stand, maybe maybe tips should have been mandated 50% uh, to cover that additional cost, right? You know, who's to say, you know, their, their, their communal outlook on that that place did not work out and I, you know it is unfortunate but at the same time it, it does very much seem like they kind of this was the perfect thing to happen for them because now they don't have to worry about capitalism so at the end of the day is anyone upset no and, and you're and again like what i said at the beginning of the segment i'm not happy to see anyone go out of business i really am not but when you're anti-capitalist and i guess you appeal to i don't know a socialist or communist crowd as you're core base 
And guess what? They don't come together in a communal fashion and prop up the business. Um, you know what? Maybe capitalism isn't all that bad after all. You know, the idea of giving a product or service to people who want it, marking up the product or service a margin so that, you know, you can stay in business. I know this is very basic, almost elementary school lessons, but apparently it was lost on this owner who, even though they're shutting the doors in 15 days, it was a success in every other way. Unbelievable. Sid, um, moving on. Uh, well, I think this is a feather in our cap because I don't think the ball would have gotten rolling if Rebel News hadn't gone down to visit um, a, a meeting of the Waterloo Catholic District School Board back in late April. I speak of myself and ace cameraman Lincoln J. And um, we have a update just breaking today. As a matter of fact, um, Wendy Ashby, this is a school board trustee with a Catholic school board district. She issued a tweet several weeks ago, which said that there is no more dangerous creature, creature was her word, on the planet than a white Christian male. So let's think about that. White, so she's racist, male, she's sexist, Christian, she's anti-Christian, even though she works for a Catholic school board. Finally, she has stepped down. I think it's a disgrace on, well, three levels. One, the original tweet and how she's playing to be the victim here. Secondly, the fact that the Waterloo Catholic District School Board, with two ex exceptions, two trustees that sent a statement out, a public statement condemning Ashby's uh, vile tweet. Uh, they were just hoping this would go away. They didn't want to deal with it at all. And again, the fact that this board vilified the parents for disrupting the, the April meeting. Uh, you mean the parents? You mean the taxpayers? You mean the people that pay your salaries and are taking a stand against racism and sexism and anti-Christian rhetoric. You have a problem with that. And in the Department of Shooting the Messenger, Rebel News and Campaign Life Coalition, we have been banned for two years, two years just for asking, again, impolite questions. Oh, by the way, uh, folks, don't worry. We'll be going to court in the weeks ahead uh, with that school board. Uh, there's no way you as a public school board can pick and choose which journalists to ban because you didn't like the tone of the questions. Unbelievable. Sid, what are your thoughts? Uh, some pretty incredible comments, to be honest. I mean, hearing them, they are, they are quite shocking. And, and the biggest thought I have is how did that person end up in that position? Uh, who, what, what are the, the thresholds that she met? What was the investigation done to her, the, the interview process that allowed someone like that to get that far in that institution? So that, that, that's my biggest concern. Uh, and it is I, uh, seeing her resignation, that's, that's positive uh, action that can be had. But how's, who's to say that it won't happen again? How do we make sure that it doesn't get repeated? But here's the problem, Sid. The board, the head honchos at the board from the director of education on down, did not demand this resignation. Uh, Ashby, uh, a week ago or so, she put out an apology, which was one of those non-apologies, you know, 
I'm sorry if anyone took offense to what I said, as opposed to I'm sorry, period, full stop, move on. And then when I look at her letter of resignation, Sid, and I'm going to be doing a monologue about this later today. Uh, well, let's begin from the beginning, shall we? Quote, diverse voices, when elected, come with truth and history, expecting these voices to assimilate because the historical truth they challenge makes some uncomfortable is something that should be reflected on. There is no easy way to have these tough conversations, end quote. So, Sid, when you read between the lines, she's not apologizing. She's not clarifying. She's doubling down. She believes that it is a historical truth that the white Christian male is the most dangerous creature on the planet. This woman still doesn't get it. Well, I mean, I think any time in history you see one human call another human or group of humans creatures yeah. as opposed to humans, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually the outcome isn't positive. Is that your, your understanding, David? Oh, uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. To use the word creature is deliberately provocative. Um, and furthermore, Sid, what if Wendy Ashby's tweet, you replaced white with black, you replaced male with trans, you replaced Christian with Muslim. What do you want to bet that is leading every single newscast, every paper headline across Canada? Whereas the coverage, by the way, of the mainstream media has been pretty much pathetic. The worst, and I'll call them out, is uh, Rachel Gilmer's old alma mater, Global News. Do you know they, when they reported on this story, Sid, they used the phrase, I think it was an offensive tweet, and they didn't publish the tweet. I mean, what, what did she say? I mean, talk about burying the lead. So, yeah, I think this is another example of the hypocrisy and the double standard that, well, we fight every day of our lives, don't we? No, no, certainly to say the least. Uh, and I find especially, you know, from engagements in Coots and Coots and those uh, events, there's a lot of corrections that need to be made to other outlets or, or statements that aren't entirely true, statements that are misleading, statements that are built on comments that were discovered to be untrue. And all of that gets pushed out there as though it is the reality, uh, the present. And, and partly our job is to, to correct the record. And that's something that I think you and I both do uh, uh, more often than not. And you know what, Sid? That's a great example because what did we see more recently, a few weeks ago, PSAC, the federal government uh, union, uh, having that strike, uh, shutting down services like passports, going to airports uh, to picket, um, using the line, hold the line. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Uh, encouraging people to honk their horns and support. Oh, honking. I thought there's one liberal MP that equates horn honking to Heil Hitler. It's cold, you see. Oh, but that's okay. These are federal government workers. These are bureaucrats out on strike. Um, no, um, you know, basket full of deplorables for them from the lips of blackface. That's okay. When it was, they were using in some terms, the exact same language and protest methods as the trucker freedom convoys were using, right? Right. 
Well, and not only that, uh, unlike the case for the Freedom Convoy, where there was funds that were being seized uh, by multiple citizens, uh, in this case, we are the citizens actually paying the protesters to protest <laughs> against the government who we're paying to uh, facilitate. And we're also paying for them to actually be on strike. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. You know, it, it's amazing. I think the best line about the strike was from uh, the big boss man himself, Ezra, where, you know, because of the COVID lockdowns these last three years, so many of these workers were working from home, which they were trying to enshrine into their contracts. I guess they got comfortable just uh, doing their stuff in their pajamas. Uh, but wouldn't you know it, the first time a critical mass of them show up at the office, it's not to work, it's to strike, it's to withhold their services. Unbelievable. Uh, but that's the world in which we live. We have to take one more quick ad break and then uh, let's see if we have any super chats and we'll get to that right on the other side, folks. I am doing something today that I have never tried before. Listen up. I'm looking for collaborators in a new and exciting initiative. As you most likely know, YouTube a long time ago demonetized Rebel News and we are 100% viewer funded. Now, while our supporters are fantastic at helping us cover legal campaigns and special reporting missions, unfortunately, the reality is our day-to-day -day operational expenses often exceed our income stream, which is crazy if you think about it because my videos across all platforms attract hundreds of thousands of views and sometimes even millions. So I want to share that reach with the right partners. If you have a product or business and want to enter a win-win relationship with me, please go to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and fill in the form to let me know. I won't be accepting anyone. I need to believe in your business or product so I can sell it proudly for you. And for successful applicants, I will guarantee a minimum view count, meaning even if your ad is published on the less popular reports, we'll keep promoting your business or product until it gets the agreed minimum eyeball. So again, if you have a cool company or product that either wants to take advantage of my reach or want to support my work through advertising in a way that you can write it off as a tax deduction or both, head over to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and hopefully we can join forces soon. Way to go, Avi. If I had money, and actually I do have some money because of a bet I made uh, earlier this month, I would throw it on the table, but I don't know what I'd be advertising. Anyway, Sid, I do believe we have a super chat. All right, and I can read that one off for you. Uh, Lionheart1979, $30. Thank you very much. Says, now that the last two Canadian teams, Leafs and Oilers, have been eliminated from the playoffs, the closest team geographically to Canada winning a Stanley Cup since 93 has been the Detroit Red Wings. That's been your fun fact of the day, our Canadian uh, reminder that we're all Canadian here. David, what do you make about that? Yeah, well, you know what? I'm not concerned uh, that much longer. You're right. I think the last Cup winning team in Canada, 1993 Montreal Canadiens, Kim Campbell, Prime Minister. For the Leafs, it goes back to 67. Lester Pearson, Google it, kids, was Prime Minister. It's kind of a surreal Stanley Cup victory parade on Bay Street in Toronto. First of all, the footage is in black and white. Secondly, there's no CN Tower. 
right? It's like an alternate universe, Toronto. And uh, what I did said this year, because it's been too many decades of disappointment, namely a 56-year rebuild plan, uh, I decided to bet a politician. I'm not going to name him. I don't want to shame him. Uh, but he was so sure this was the Leafs year. I adopted the George Costanza opposite day philosophy, and I bet against the Leafs. Wow, talk about money in the bank. Uh, my MVP is Robert Borden. Yeah, that's the portrait of the guy on the $100 bill. That's what I want. And my gosh, I feel sorry for the guy I betted on. He was so diehard. You see, he said, if you're going to do a bet where I think the Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup, uh, second part of the sentence is, now you pick a team. Instead, he gave me all 15. <laughs> like, you know, how, I mean, it would be improbable for me to lose. So I'm very happy. They've let me down too many times. In fact, said, here's a bet. Uh, I, I want you to think about this. The next time we talk, you can weigh in with your answer. Same with everybody, folks. What is going to happen first? A, the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win a Stanley Cup. Or B, I'm going to die. And you know what, Sid? I'm betting on the Grim Reaper. All I ask for is who, when that happens, whoever the starting six lineup of the Leafs are, I want you to lower me into my grave. You know, I deserve that for all these decades. I've supported you driving to Buffalo for almost every game. The thousands of dollars worth of merch. Oh, you bastards. I am done. I am betting against you. I think it's financially lucrative as the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs of 2023 have proven. And uh, yeah, for all the other Canadian teams, I really don't care. Um, I am just in it for the money. What say you, Sid, with you and your newly adopted Calgary Flames? Well, I was actually going to say before you addressed it that that bet you had won must have been against the Leafs. So uh, <laughs> you were right on the head with that one. And, you know, I think uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs fans are going to start catching on. They can cheer for the team, but they can bet that they're going to lose. You know what, Sid, at the end of the day, and I mean this with all sincerity, the Leafs don't deserve their fan base uh, with the ticket prices they charge, the decades of ineptitude. And, I mean, you see at Maple Leaf Square, people crammed in tooth to just to cheer on a video screen. Um, you see so many Leaf fans in other cities across the NHL. So it's sometimes in the case of Buffalo, it looks like a home game for Toronto. Um, and yet, what do we get? Just misery, just disappointment year after year. You know, being a Leaf fan, uh, it's kind of like Linus on October 31st waiting for the great pumpkin to appear. And it never does, right? That's it. But I'm done. It's all about the money now. You've broken my heart too many times. Uh, adios. And speaking of adios, uh, we got to run, uh, Sid. Uh, I understand um, uh, the big boss man has an interview coming up uh, very shortly and he needs the studio. So I want to thank you very much for jumping in for Sheila Gunn-Reed. Uh, thanks to um, Olivia and Efren behind the boards. And thanks to all of you who have tuned in. There'll be another uh, edition of Rebel Roundup, a rather daily roundup, getting my nom culture mixed up tomorrow. In the meantime, folks, as always, stay safe and stay sane.